1: Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of TheMindRenewed.com, coming to you as usual from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today I am very pleased to welcome to the programme the researcher, author and activist James Rogowski, who joins us to talk about the World Health Organisation and its proposed so-called Pandemic Treaty, or more fully, the uh, International Treaty on Pandemic Prevention, Preparedness and Response. So there you go. That's a, a mouthful to start with. Um, and perhaps more importantly, the, uh, the WHO's ongoing negotiations on amendments to the international health regulations. Now, that can all sound terribly dull, and I suspect that that's deliberate so that people will think it's dull and not notice what's going on. But it's actually very, very important for all of us. So, uh, James Roguski, welcome to CMR, and thank you very much for coming on the show.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me. Um, There is an awful lot to talk about, and I just would love to thank you for the opportunity. Um, The big issue is this needs to be discussed. And unfortunately, so far, the media has uh, only been talking about a portion of what's going on. And hopefully we'll be able to give everyone a bunch more information so that they actually are aware of all that is going on.
1: Mm, Absolutely. And you clearly are one of the uh, main people to talk about this. You're a key researcher in the area. So I'm very pleased to have you on the program. Now, you say that this subject doesn't tend to be covered very much by the media. Are you talking there about what's often referred to as mainstream media? Or are you including the alternative media scene in that as well?
2: Oh, I'm absolutely talking about the alternative as well. Mm. Uh, I think you've already alluded to the fact that on the surface, you know, many people think this is very boring. (laughs) Um, When you actually get into the details, it's infuriating and invigorating and, for many people, enraging once they realize what Mm. this is. Mm. But when you watch almost all media, you get sensationalized stories that, while they may be real events, are not substantial. When an international organization and 194 delegates from all of the nations that are members of the WHO – are getting together to discuss changing international law, Mm. that's a substantial issue. Mm. And to not cover it, I think, is not good by any stretch of the imagination.
1: Absolutely. But, you know, I can see why people perhaps shy away from it because once you start to look into this you know you find well it's called what is it a pandemic treaty and then it's also called a convention or agreement and an instrument and then you find there's this zero draft and then there's a conceptual zero draft before that and then there are all these bunch of amendments to these international health regulations with groups and subgroups and forgettable acronyms and almost soviet style newspeak you know it's at all surprising to me that it is off-putting to people but i've i've waded through some of it so hopefully we will get somewhere with this so anyways As I say, we're going to be talking about the treaty and these IHR, I'll call them now, IHR proposed amendments. But we'll come to that in a moment because I do want to ask you a little bit about yourself first. Could you tell us about your your work and particularly your interest in this this area in recent times?
2: Um, I'm 62, going to be 63 soon. And um, I live in California. And for a good portion of my life, I managed an herb and nutrition store. Uh And I wrote a couple of books about health. I've always given everything away. Everything that I've ever written, including what I'm doing now, has always just been given away. Um, I wrote a book, I think almost 17 years ago, entitled Your Doctor is a Liar, hmm. and it's more true today than it ever was. Um, you can go to com and have it for free. The point, though, is um, at some point during these past three years, I had up to six websites dedicated to speaking the truth about what was going on and a year and a day ago i got an email from my web hosting provider and they informed me that shortly and it did happen it was all going to go away Hmm. and so i had a decade worth of work and a lot of work from the past you know two of the past three years just disappear in a poof of digital smoke if you will yeah and so Mm -hmm. um I actually took that in stride. I said, well, you know, one door closes, another one opens. Mm. And shortly thereafter, I came across information about what was at the time a series of many, many, many proposals pushing forth the idea of this pandemic treaty. And so I did a bunch of research into that. Um, On March 24th of last year, I published an article on Substack. Not about the pandemic treaty, because it did not exist at that point. It was just a bunch of proposals from many, many, many different organizations. And I summarized it all. And then the next day, I published the com. and that was my perspective. Um, the way I was raised, uh, it's like if you see something that's a problem by all means, you know, say something, but, you know, it, you should also offer a solution. Mm. And so I, I figured, well, if they're taking um, ideas for proposed, you know, pandemic treaties, I had some ideas. And so the people's treaty is to help everyone understand that we have unalienable rights that for some reason we've either forgotten or we've been confused to forget them, and those rights have been abused. But if you understand what the word unalienable means, it means that even if you've accidentally or mistakenly, or you've been coerced into giving up those rights, they're unalienable. Mm. At any point in time, you can come to your senses, and you can say, hey, wait a minute, you can't do that. Mm. Mm. And so then something very interesting happened. Even though I had published this huge article about the pandemic treaty and then the peoplestreaty.com, three days later, I got dragged out of bed by some force. I can't even tell you what got me up at four in the morning. And I went to go poking around on the Internet again, which was not unusual. It's just that I don't okay. usually wake up at four in the morning and do that. And I was reading an article and in the article it said, we have obtained a document. And so I'm a curious person. Hmm. So I clicked on the hyperlink and lo and behold, I found a document which was from the Biden administration through their mission in Geneva, submitted to the WHO on January 18th, 2022, last year. And it was a proposal to amend the existing international health regulations. I started reading it and I got a shiver down my spine because I realized what they were trying to do. And so that sets the stage for the fact Mm. that there's two very different things that we'll be talking about today. One is now no longer just a bunch of proposals. Now there is what they refer to as a zero draft of the proposed. um, We all call it the pandemic treaty. They have many names for it. I'll just call it the pandemic treaty. Mm. So there's that, which is one thing. But then there's, I think, an even more concerning issue, which the Biden administration tried to do last year, but we stopped them. But now there's a much bigger proposal to amend existing international regulations, proposed amendments to the international health regulations.
1: Mm. As you say, it is crucial to keep in mind that there are two different things going on here and certainly not forget that the amendments perhaps should be at the forefront of our minds. I just wonder whether this whole business about the treaty is a bit of a smokescreen. It's <laughs> my suspicious nature because people are always talking about the treaty and then you find that most of the concerning things seem to be elsewhere, which is a, a strange experience when you start to look into it. Um, so can I just run a few things by you to check that I've got these? Please, please these, do. Yes. Please let's go. stick with these amendments then. So these are proposed amendments that you say the U.S. Uh, Biden administration, amendments that were proposed to the international health regulations. So this is the beginning of 2022. But now these,
2: these well, actually, if, these, if I may. Yeah, go on. I may, yeah, yeah,
1: go yeah, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go back. A little go on. Um,
2: Let's go back almost 200 years. Oh,
1: right. Okay. Okay.
2: Um, They really started out, if you imagine a time when people did not have indoor plumbing Mm. or septic or sewage systems, you know, maybe you had an outhouse or a latrine, Mm. or maybe you had a chamber pot and, you know, people just threw it out into the gutter or Mm. into the river or whatever. Um, These regulations began their life as sanitary regulations to try to clean up the way human excrement was dealt with.
1: Yep. Okay.
2: And mm-hmm. so with indoor plumbing and septic systems and treatment and all that sort of thing, a lot of disease, a lot of communicable infectious disease was reduced dramatically mm. prior to World War II. And then they started sticking needles in people and gave all the credit to the jabs when really most of the infectious problems were cleaned up mm due to sanitary regulations. And so those were all rolled in under the purview of the WHO when it was created after World War II. Right.
1: Okay, so the International Health Regulations didn't actually start in 1969, which is what I read.
2: They got a name change in ah, 1969. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They yeah. went from sanitary regulations to international health regulations. Okay. There were a few amendments. And then in 2005, quite a lot of things were changed and I think honestly that's when the problem began because the name international health regulations will immediately confuse everybody they're not regulations about how you care for someone's health Mm. okay they would more properly be referred to as the international surveillance monitoring reporting emergency declaring (laughs) fear-mongering control regulations because that's what they're all about Hmm. and i'm not saying that any way other than that is what they are about
1: okay i agree with you having read some of this stuff as well i share that opinion yes indeed
2: a year ago i had never heard of this i had no idea so anybody who's hearing this for the first time you know i was in your shoes a year ago yeah Uh, When I first started to read it, I got to Article 3, and those are the core principles behind what I'm going to call the International Surveillance Regulations, because that's really what they are. And the first principle states very clearly in Article 3, number one, that the regulations shall or must be implemented with full respect for the dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms of people. And so a year or so ago, I was like, well, that sounds pretty good to me. That's a good start. That's a good core principle. And I'll fast forward to now. And as part of the proposed amendments to the international surveillance regulations, the delegation from India proposed crossing out that principle. It literally has a line through implementing the regulations with full respect for the dignity human rights and fundamental freedoms of people and so when I read that in mid-December when these documents became available I observed myself with my jaw hanging open mm. and I was like that's like the fundamental principle of the document and they would cross it out
1: and, and if then, I may I just so read that but they've not only crossed it out they've also substituted the ending of the sentence with something which is incredibly vague this is Article 3 Principles. The implementation of these regulations shall be, then this is the bit that's crossed out, with full respect for the dignity, human rights and fundamental freedoms of persons. And then they substituted, the implementation of these regulations shall be based on the principles of equity, inclusivity, coherence, and in accordance with their common but differentiated responsibilities of the state's parties, taking into consideration their social and economic development. I'm not even sure what that's supposed to be. I mean, they talk about coherence, but I'm thinking, well, well, what's all that? You know, so they got rid of this most important part of the sentence and then just substitutive fluff. It's very worrying.
2: I don't know if you have this delicacy in England, but here we call that a word salad. <laughs>
1: yes, um, indeed.
2: Um, you know, what does... Yeah. Now, we could go into what those words mean, but even though that statement is in the proposed amendments to the International Health Regulation, the definition for those terms shows up in the proposed pandemic treaty. Right. Isn't that interesting? And so going forward a little bit, sticking to the amendments to the regulations, the current international surveillance or health regulations has 66 articles and the proposed amendments all told have over 300 proposed amendments to 33 of the 66 articles there have been proposed six new articles and at the end of the 66 articles there are currently nine sections that they refer to as annexes Mm. and there's proposed changes to six of the nine and then the african nations of the who in africa the 47 nations of the african region proposed an entirely new annex number 10 (laughs) and so you know these are substantial changes to international law and Mm. this is the part that almost everybody has Cognitive dissonance—they they suffer from a great difficulty in accepting what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. Okay, the international health regulations are international law. They are already currently legally binding. They go back almost 200 years. They were rolled into the WHO. So all nations who agreed to join the WHO agreed to these. They went through a name change. They went through amendments. All of the member nations agreed to the changes. We're now at a point where they're trying to change them again. And from Article 55 on in the existing regulations, it makes it very clear what the process is. The 194 delegates from each nation, one from each nation, meet in Geneva every May. So they'll be meeting May 21st to the 30th. And if a majority of the nations decide to adopt something, it is adopted. That's it.
1: Just over 50 percent. Is that right when you say a majority?
2: There is no signature required by a prime minister, a foreign minister, a president, a secretary of state. That's not required. There is no parliamentary approval. There is no advice and consent by two-thirds of the Senate in the United States. Mm. And this is where the biggest confusion arises, and I want to clarify it with certainty here. When people use the word treaty, Mm. especially in the United States, most Americans are aware that in the Constitution, if the United States is to adopt or approve or ratify a treaty, The Constitution says that it has to be two-thirds of the Senate. So whenever somebody hears the word treaty, Mm. they go, oh, well, boy, it's going to be awfully hard to get two-thirds of the Senate. And while that's true, the legal system in the United States has been co-opted. People need to realize, and this is the same pretty much everywhere – Thousands upon tens of thousands of international agreements have been reached over the years with just a handshake or a signature. And they have not gone through the official constitutional process. Mm. Okay, And so last year, the Biden administration attempted to put forth a series of amendments. Those were completely kicked to the curb. They were not even discussed in public at last year's assembly. Illegitimately, a new set of amendments were proposed in the middle of the assembly, which broke every rule in their book. But they did it anyways. And a different group of nations, including the United States, but many other nations, submitted amendments to five articles. Those were adopted on May 27th of last year. And I challenge anybody to show me where a prime minister, a foreign minister, a president, a secretary of state signed off on that, or it was discussed or debated in parliament or in the Senate. Okay. So those amendments to the international health regulations nearly adopted. You know, they recorded this and it's available on video. All they did was they did all kinds of backroom negotiations. They finally got it to a point where they had their meeting in Geneva. They said, we're now discussing document, and they gave the number of the document, and they said to the delegations, are there any objections? And they waited 10 seconds or so, and then they said, fine, um, we've adopted this document, And they banged the gavel, and they all gave themselves the weirdest round of applause. It was one of the most real things I've ever seen. And it then became international law. (laughs) And, you know, we're cut out of the process. Yeah. We're not being Mm -hmm. given any say in the changing of international law. Yes. And that's what I'm trying to bring awareness to. And I appreciate your opportunity.
1: On the positive side, however, those amendments as they stood were not fully accepted, were they? In May 2022, you, you say there were nations that did reject what was being suggested there. Well, I'll clarify. I think uh, you uh, said that, well, uh, didn't you say that your your work in bringing awareness to this was actually, you, you were partly instrumental in bringing well, that about? Is that right? Yes.
2: Yes and no. Yes and no. Okay. Ah. Um, So as to not confuse people, okay, Hmm. last year, there were competing submissions, okay? The United States submitted proposed amendments. Russia apparently submitted proposed amendments, but they were never made public. I didn't get a hold of them until this December. Both of those submissions were not ever publicly discussed. In the middle of the assembly, which violates the rule that says they have to be submitted four months in advance. So on on the Monday of the week of the meetings, a totally separate document was submitted that ultimately was adopted and it made some minor changes and it actually gave a little bit more power to the individual nations to Uh, expressed their reservations about future amendments, and it changed the time period. So Mm. I, I think it was absolutely, completely and totally illegitimate. It broke their rules, but they don't really seem to care about their rules if they don't want to. And so it was adopted.
1: Now, well, I, I'm a little disappointed because I I got the impression that uh, there was more of a wholesale rejection and that the BRICS nations
2: well, see, here's, on the whole here's, were not
1: were not happy. And I was thinking, I was going to ask you the question, do you think this trajectory of being not happy with the amendments could even lead to the BRICS nations and perhaps Iran as well as pulling out of the whole thing? Um, well, this is, I don't know.
2: This is complicated. right? And so, I'll do my best to explain it clearly to people because, quite frankly, it reads like a soap opera. Hmm. And I published an article about this the end of May last year called We Won because we did. But watching the goings on, it, it literally reads like a soap opera. And so here's what I believe. This is my analysis of what really happened. Okay. Yes, we raised awareness about what the Biden administration was doing. But I think more importantly, if people are familiar with the concept of the carrot versus the stick, okay, mm-hmm. giving incentives mm-hmm. versus giving, you know, a beating, okay, um, right. what really happened was the Biden administration's proposed amendments were all stick and no carrot. They were giving more power and more control to the who Mm. and i believe that the african nations and many others looked at it and said well wait a minute
1: Mm.
2: what's in it for us
1: exactly Mm.
2: and so they rejected it not because they were inherently opposed to giving more power to the who right but the plot dramatically thickens I mean, it really does read like a soap opera. (laughs) Um, In mid-May, I published an article that was encouraging people in the United States to submit emails to congressmen to get them to speak out against it. And many, many tens of thousands of people submitted emails, and many of those people forwarded the response emails that they received from their members of Congress. And the members of Congress... Gave us evidence of that which I suspected, which clearly documented that the amendments, the writing of the amendments, even though it was submitted by the Biden administration, was begun under the Trump administration. And the letters that we received were from Republicans who were supporting. Biden's proposal to give more power and authority to the WHO, Republicans were supporting Biden's proposal because it was begun by Trump. (laughs) And that just made people's heads explode because you realize here in the United States, we really don't have two parties. Okay, they're all working on an agenda that has no connection to what the people actually want. And I suspect that's the same in many countries, you know, regardless of how many yeah. parties there are, mm. um, the agenda behind all of them is very similar.
1: It's becoming increasingly obvious here. Well, it's been obvious for a long time, but increasingly obvious.
2: <laughs> and, and so now, a lot of people feel
1: they have zero choice now at the ballot box, just different flavors of the same thing, you know.
2: Right. So now what we're dealing with are at the assembly last May, 2022, one of the documents that was adopted created what's called a working group for amendments to the international health regulations, WGIHR. And they set up a process by which all nations were encouraged to submit proposed amendments by September 30th. And so, um, 14 nations did so. I don't know what has happened to Japan's submission. It's listed, but it's unavailable. Um, Two nations submitted a little bit late. Uh, the Republic of Korea and Malaysia submitted their documents a little bit late. So there's a total of 16 minus the missing one from Japan. And so in October, myself, um, two people from the United Kingdom, uh, one from Canada, Finland, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand, we all submitted in our relative countries freedom of information requests and i must say the response from the united kingdom was the most entertaining <laughs> essentially, essentially they said mm. yeah we have the documents you requested but we're not going to give them to you <laughs> okay okay mm-hmm. and
1: well, what do they cite? national security by any chance
2: oh are you, you're either psychic or um you've been <laughs> down this path before right. exactly exactly mm. And so they they didn't want to harm their relations with the other member nations by revealing that which was given in confidence. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, Mm. Or something to that effect. Um, I got a a complete runaround from the uh, United States government, both the State Department and the Health Department. Um, Long story short, they had their first meeting in mid November, but at the beginning of October, The Director General Tedros Ghebreyesus of the W.H.O. created a International Health Regulations Review Committee. And that review committee was 18. Um, you know, Originally, it was 18, but now they're saying it's 20. So I think it's 20 um, people who were hand selected by Tedros. They do not represent or they did not represent any nation. They represented only themselves in their expert capacity, and they met in October, November, December, and January, and they took the 197 pages of submissions from the many countries, and they condensed it into a 46-page document, which was just sort of the meat, you know, the substance of the Mm -hmm. change. And that's what I've been talking about since (laughs) mid-December.
1: Right. all right it's incredible all these committees and delegates and all the rest of it is just incredibly difficult to keep your mind on which i think is part of the point um let's try to pin some of this down so that people can really get their minds around some of these these concerns let's go back to the treaty the so-called treaty or whatever it is um now you have an article it's a very good article actually i know you've changed it recently but um it's called the top 100 reasons to stop the treaty stop the amendments and exit the who i will put a link to that of course i do recommend everybody to go and read that because you reference the documents so people can read your commentary and then why you say what you say um if,
2: if i may if i may easy um the easy way for people to find that is to just go to stop the who.com that'll get you right yes. to what we're talking. yes
1: that's about. right good um all right so um at least when I read it, you have 10 points of great concern about the so-called pandemic treaty. So I'm going to mention those. I'll ask you to talk about ones you want to, but I have three in particular that I'd like to talk about. Um So I'll just list them so people can get a flavor of the kinds of things that are proposed here. So um dramatically expand the role of the WHO, create a new bureaucracy called the Conference of the Parties, uh, gain tens of billions of dollars for the who expand censorship speed up approval of drugs and injections support rather than discontinue gain of function research organize more tabletop exercises implement a concept called one health which sounds really dull but actually that's really important um institute what's called a whole of government or whole of society approach, which strangely reminded me of the Germans in the 1930s, but it's another matter, um, and then um, set up a global review system to oversee global health. So I think people will get the impression there that this is all about centering power and influence and oversight in the WHO. So um the one that really concerned me first in this list is number four, which is Expand Censorship. We've had enough of that over the last few years. They seem to want to increase this as if this is a good thing. Um, can you tell us about this expansion of censorship within the treaty proposals?
2: A- absolutely. Hmm. But, but first, I want to I give an update. Sure. Okay. Hmm. Um, I published that article in the first week of January. And at the time, the document that was available... Was known as the conceptual zero draft. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm laughing. It keeps it's changing a, name. its name. Yeah, a Made on. up name. Uh, mm. There's so many names that they have given this. It, it boggles the mind. Yes. Um, on yeah. February first, they published the zero draft.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah.
2: And and so they've made it better. Better. I, I, I take that back. They've made it more egregiously horrible, in my opinion. <laughs> Okay. Right.
1: Um, so hold on. If there's also a zero draft CA, plus, okay. whatever that is. Well, all right. So, I
2: wasn't yeah. going to go there, but right. I'll, go, I'll go into the details so people understand. Um, right. In the WHO Constitution, which is what nations <laughs> agreed to back in 1940, whatever, mm-hmm. in Articles 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23, in 19 and 20, it talks about how the WHO can adopt conventions or agreements so that's where the ca comes from uh-huh. right okay now in 2003 uh the who and the world health assembly got together and they adopted the framework convention for the control of tobacco products hmm. most people have no idea didn't get run through the senate or parliament most likely prime ministers or presidents or diplomats whatever um, just signed off on it. And it's part of international law. It's a framework convention. Most people think of it as a treaty. It's an agreement, whatever you want to call it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the only the other one I've heard of is the climate change framework convention. So it's, it's that model. Presumably. You,
2: you've got the idea. Fantastic. And so under articles 19 and 20 of the WHO constitution, they can have nations agree to legally binding conventions or agreements in Articles 21 and 22, they can have nations agree to legally binding what they call other international instruments, II, mm-hmm. okay? <laughs> Those are the regulations mm-hmm. that we're talking about. The international health regulations fall under that category. Okay. Now, they originally were calling this the CAII, Convention, Agreement, or Other international instrument then they decided to change it to ca plus So they, call it, they call <laughs> i'm call sorry it, i know it. i
1: shouldn't laugh but oh dear, well, oh dear. yeah
2: you gotta let me get to the point side okay sorry, so they call on. it they now call it the who ca plus so, I just call it the Hookah Plus because they're smoking something. <laughs> they think we're going to fall. For okay. So, just mm. remember Hookah mm. Plus if you don't want to call it the pandemic treaty. But here's the most important point it's not an amendment to existing regulations, it's an attempt to create an entirely new international agreement. And that goes through a different process. And many people would argue that there's a lot of overlap between the two processes. They have two separate negotiating groups. One is called the working group for amending the International Health Regulations and the group that's working on the treaty is called the International Negotiating Body, the INB. And so, we mostly have been talking about the amendment, so let's dig into the treaty. Um, as as you wish what would you like to talk about what they're doing
1: i just uh, yeah i will do that actually um i wanted to ask you before we do that you keep on talking about legally binding I, i suppose what i'm really asking is what legally binding really means certainly will jones dr will jones who writes here in the daily skeptic says that he's not convinced that legally binding will actually compel states to obey the WHO. It's not clear to me what he thinks legally binding means in that case, but... He does think that it won't compel obedience, so I'm wondering what you think of that. I mean, the only thing that comes to my mind is: is it could he be thinking something like, well, it's legally binding in the sense that not, nations not need binding. to take very seriously not the binding. recommendation, will have to take very seriously the provisions of, of a treaty like this. You know, show that they've given the paperwork to the to the right officials and and set up the right conduits of policy, etc. You see what I mean? That it could be legally binding to do that sort of thing with it actually um, necessarily actually yeah, resulting is, in policy having the absolute effect at the end of the line. Okay. I don't know.
2: <laughs> in, in the rabbit hole, in the network that is the rabbit hole of the WHO, this topic is a cavern. Yep. It's a very, very interesting topic of discussion. Mm. Okay. Let's agree to spend a certain amount of time on it but let's not get stuck in this
1: cavern because... Sorry to interrupt, but in a sense, you've answered the question because the second part of what he said was that he's most concerned that these, particularly the IHR amendments... What they will do will be to reinforce, well, you know, whether they're legally binding or not, you, know, you can argue till the cows come home, as we say here, as to whether that's true or not or how that's true. But what they will do is to reinforce what he calls um, something like the disastrous lockdown mask injection paradigm that we've had and, and bake that into the global bureaucracy uh, and into how government responds and I'll, the structures, you know.
2: I'll, I'll try to address this question head on, okay?
1: Okay. But it's Mm.
2: it's a question we we could probably discuss for half a day. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. There are so many details to this. I I welcome the opportunity for anybody who wants to discuss it. And I actually have a Zoom meeting that I do twice a day Mm. in the United States. So at 8 p.m. every day, 8 p.m. England time. Okay, Noon my time here in California. I have assumed that everyone is encouraged to attend. And so if you go to um, StopTheWho.com, you're more than welcome to continue this discussion. So let me me try to give it the short version. Hmm. The WHO, the United States government, I'm sure you could find it on every nation's website. They clearly say that they all agree that the international health regulations are legally binding. And what that essentially means is... If you sign a contract, if you agree to something, you are bound to adhere to the agreement to which you've agreed. And and so the arguments about legal and lawful and treaties and ratification, oh, we could go on for days. OK, so there's theory. But then there is the reality of, you know, as they say, the rubber hitting the road. Right. Every nation and the WHO and almost anybody can point to where it says the international health regulations are currently legally binding. Now, the current international health regulations don't make very many demands of the nations. So they're legally bound to something that's not that difficult to comply with. Mm. They're obligated to have a focal point you know essentially an office somebody holds that office and if there's an emergency if there was a leak of radiation if there was a chemical spill they're obligated to inform the WHO that there's a problem so the international surveillance regulations now it becomes clear if something's happening You've got an outbreak of, you know, some disease or whatever. There is an obligation to keep an eye to surveil what's going on in your country, to have a point person who notifies the WHO and, you know, to work together and cooperate with other nations, um, you know, to deal with the problem. They have reports that they have to file. They have core capacities, meaning They have to have infrastructure to be able to deal with this.
1: This is as it stands at the moment, is that right? Is that what you're saying?
2: This is as it stands at the moment. Mm. And it's all supposed to be done with full respect for the dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms of people. Mm. And so it's legally binding. But here's the part that I was getting to, and we got a little sidetracked, and now I'll come back to. Um, Article 23 of the Constitution of the WHO says that the WHO can make recommendations. And this is where the problem lies. Since 1940-something, the WHO has made an endless list of recommendations. If you go to Article 1, the definition of the term temporary recommendation or standing recommendation, they're both defined as non Binding advice and I think everybody understands that a recommendation is non-binding advice It says in a document that's binding that the recommendations made by the WHO are non-binding You know, there are things that the nations are obligated to do but following the WHO's recommendations is not binding that is what they are seeking to change.
1: They're striking out those words specifically, aren't they, over and again?
2: They're striking out in the definition of the terms temporary and standing recommendations, crossing out the phrase non-binding, but coupled with other amendments to Article 42. Article 42 would be changed if these proposed amendments were to go through, and many, 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 many other articles Use the word shall.
1: Mm. I mean, at the very least, they're normalizing the understanding within global bureaucracy that they do have power and shall be obeyed. Whatever the legal situation, they're normalizing that, aren't they, by changing the language?
2: Well, I don't think I would use the word normalizing it. They are dramatically altering the balance of power. And so Mm. I, I have, for the whole year that I've been talking about this, referred to the WHO as the world hypnosis organization because that's (laughs) quite frankly, you know, coupled with propaganda, right? I'll give you a real life example. Um, Almost a year ago, maybe now we had ordered something and it was delivered not to the home, but a couple of blocks up the street to a package uh, pickup center. And so we got an email that it was there. And my girlfriend pointed the email out to me because she knew it, it would get me riled up at the bottom it had suggestions about when you go to pick it up, you know, you should wear a mask and you should social distance and all that. Mm -hmm. And it linked to the WHO. Mm. Okay. So their tentacles go so far as to show up in an email for me here in California to go pick up a package. Well, she knew that I would get a chuckle out of it because it's like, well, that's a nice recommendation But you can't make me do anything. Mm -hmm. Most people would read that and go, oh, I must comply. Now, what they're seeking to change is within the legally binding international health regulations, they want to change the definition of a non-binding recommendation to a binding decree.
1: Yeah, and we could argue. Well, we could go back and forth about what that means. Uh, but what is clear to me is that they're asking for a vast amount of money to create and to bolster an infrastructure that will at least create this popular illusion that they are in control. And if everybody buys into that illusion, well, then they will have that power, which is, of course, so important. What you're doing is to burst the bubble of that.
2: That's that's um, where we are. Mm. Where we are now, and mm, mm. it appears that they've grown tired of relying on propaganda and hypnosis. Mm. And they want to literally change the regulations so that the law gives them the authority to command people as opposed to making suggestions. Okay? Right. They, they've been making suggestions, which is hypnosis. Yeah, They've been making suggestions that the media presents As gospel, many people have fallen for it. People who are not subject to that hypnotic spell have pushed back, and we clearly know that they do not have legally binding authority over our lives. They are seeking, with our compliance and our silence, to have delegates from around the world be bribed and coerced into handing over legal authority they wouldn't be changing these regulations if they had the authority they're seeking to change international law Mm. to give themselves that authority and i simply
1: say no i agree i say no as well okay let's talk about those three things at least that uh, i brought up let's start with expanding censorship now, we've already had more than enough of that kind of thing on various media platforms, YouTube being perhaps the most famous, where you you run the risk of your video being removed or your channel deleted, if you're saying anything that runs counter to the infallible wisdom of the WHO. Um, that is, even if you're a medical professional. Um, so presumably the plan is to not only continue with that kind of thing but to expand the reach of it uh, because we see here in article number 16 of the treaty uh, which has the orwellian title strengthening pandemic and public health literacy uh, we see frequent mention of countering false information misleading information misinformation disinformation false news Um, presumably we're looking at them wanting to expand this kind of thing
2: well what they've Exposed in the United States, and it quite frankly started with the BBC um, with the Trusted News Initiative, Mm -hmm. government and industry. You know, the definition of fascism is when government and corporations work together against the people. Um, The Trusted News Initiative is a prime example. And what has happened here with Facebook and Twitter and the security agencies in the United States clearly government i feel here in the united states has committed crimes Mm. because they're not allowed to pass laws to censor speech so they've attempted to work with industry to convince and coerce and bribe and pay the media to do their censorship for them and you know arguably that's criminal activity And it's only arguable because somebody's got to argue the case and prove it in a court of law. It's clearly criminal. It's clearly a violation of our unalienable rights. And the short answer to how they do it is they pay people to do it. Hmm. They pay the media to censor that which they want to censor. I encourage and I help facilitate people to be the media. Uh, your audience can go to screw the who dot com and mm-hmm. see a bunch of 90 second videos that people recorded. People chose to make their own media and publish it however they chose to publish it. And I just helped collect it. And they gave a 90 second um, statement as to their opinion about the proposed pandemic treaty back in September. I was amazingly, wonderfully, pleasantly impressed by the quality and the intelligence of just regular people around the Mm. world who looked into the information and they expressed themselves and put out videos about the pandemic treaty. The problem is people don't realize what the media really is. I had a very formative experience a half of my lifetime ago. I was 30 some years old, I got into a a heated discussion at a local television station in Rhode Island and the station manager took me aside and very condescendingly said to me at the time, he was older than me and knew his industry, and he said, James, let me help you out here, kiddo. We don't give an F about our viewers. Our advertisers pay the bills around here. Do you understand? (laughs) And I understood instantaneously. Yeah. Okay. You only had to tell me once.
1: Right. Okay. So the central answer to the question is money. They, they're That's going to ask for tens things. and tens of billions of dollars. They're going to have those resources. They're going to be able to therefore funnel those resources, however they do that, to do what it says in number 16 here, point E, where it talks about um, strengthen and public trust and counter misinformation, disinformation. What on earth does that mean? It's, you know, who, who's in control of what? what the definition of those terms are the who okay um including through providing timely simple clear coherent accurate blah 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 based on science and evidence Who's science well presumably science they've paid for promoting media literacy well what does that mean um well producing all kinds of programs and leaflets that presumably can be given to school kids or whatever And ethical professional journalism, well, no doubt they can fund some journalism classes that means if you don't give the right answers to the right questions, then you don't even pass your course or you don't get the job that you want. And this kind of thing, strengthening research on misinformation and disinformation, I'm quite sure there are plenty of social scientists who would like to have a grant from the WHO, etc. So this is how they're going to do it, isn't it? Essentially, as you said, through funneling cash.
2: And so to clarify for people who might be wanting to dig into this, Recently, they changed from the conceptual zero draft to the zero draft, and changed a number of the article numbers. So that in the new version is now actually Article Seventeen. Oh right, Strength okay. pandemic in public health literacy, okay. just so people who go looking yeah,
1: sure. understand. It's con- it's it's. It's amazing. It's like a fluid, isn't it? It's constantly <laughs> changing, total flux all the time. All right, let's talk about one of the other ones, which I think is, I think this is crucial, actually. Uh, so this is implement a concept called One Health. Sounds incredibly Innocuous. I mean, who could be objecting to health and one health? Well, we all want the same sort of health, don't we? We don't want to have a great disparity in health. Well, what does that really mean? Um, Okay, so you say, Article 17, as it was anyway, of the conceptual zero draft...
2: Yeah, now it's number 18, just so people know.
1: Number 18, yep. ...would implement a complex system known as one health in which control over human health, pet health, domesticated animal, farm animal, and wild animal health... And agricultural plant health and the overall health of the natural environment would be strictly controlled. In short, they want to have control over every aspect of everyone's life. Now that, that sounds crazy. How can that be the case? But, um, when I go to, let's see if I can bring it up here. This is an organization that seems to specialize in this area of one health. So this is a World Health Organization group here. <laughs> With a, a very pompous title, the One Health High Level Expert Panel, um, <laughs> with a wonderful initialism, OHLEP, oh, oh, I don't know how you pronounce that. Oh, 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 lep which they launched in um, back in 2021, the middle of 2021. Um, what they say here, evidence is exactly what you said. So I will quote from them because it's quite remarkable. Um, the <laughs> advice will contribute this is quoting right the advice will contribute to enhancing strategic orientations and coordination and to providing high political visibility on the subject of one health. It will be based on the analysis of scientific evidence on the links between human animal Ecosystem health contribute to foresight on emerging threats to health. Now, this is important. Um, It will improve a common and better understanding of the impacts of food systems, including agriculture, livestock farming and trade, wildlife hunting and trade, aquaculture, uh, animal products, processing, handling, distribution and consumer practices, as well as ecological and environmental factors that may be contributing to zoonotic disease emergence, reemergence and spillover events. Now, what I've got from reading that is that they want to embrace everything they can, really, that can be even slightly plausibly connected to the idea of viruses and variants of concern arising naturally. So this ignores the the probability, in my view anyway, that SARS-CoV-2 jumped out of a lab somewhere uh, for whatever reason. Um, Ignoring that completely, going with the the narrative that, yes, this is all to do with zoonotic origin, etc. Um, this is a natural origin thing, and we must do everything we can to make sure that that sort of thing doesn't happen again. And so, therefore, we need to control pretty much everything we can to make sure that it doesn't happen. Now, whether that's really in order to make sure that it doesn't happen when the chances are that didn't happen anyway, um, but rather it, this is an excuse, I see it as an excuse, to try to get your tentacles into as much as you possibly can. And that's pretty frightening, they could use this whole COVID-19 paradigm that we've been through for the last three years as an excuse to get the tentacles into as much as possible. Am I reading that right?
2: Um, Allow me to completely agree with you, (laughs) because I do, Mm -hmm. Um, but to go further and point out what actually just happened, Mm. okay? What just happened is you just hypnotized everybody who was listening to this with a word salad Mm-hmm. OK, that you were, you know, these are their words. Mm. They use the language. It's English, but it's strung together in a way that makes people just fall asleep. And and absolutely. And, and mm. you know, if I could snap my fingers. OK, everybody, mm. come back.
1: And you're right. This is, this is right at the top of the show. This is why people aren't talking about it. And I get that. Right. This- yeah, I was quite nervous about doing this because I was thinking, where are we going to go with this? You know, it's a spider's web of is- of word salad, as you say. People are going to be switching off, but I don't care because it's so important that we need to talk about it anyway. So
2: switching mm. off, people's subconscious minds have been programmed, and and so what they do in their meetings, what they do with their language, is they just keep
0: repeating
2: English words that they've redefined. Like equity and inclusivity and common but differentiated responsibilities and capabilities. And the words soak in and people subconsciously hear the words over and over and your subconscious accepts them, even if consciously you go, I don't what are you talking about?
1: yeah i didn't wish to fall into the trap of uh using their words and creating a hypnosis but i i had to Understood. say Not that very much. paragraph because i was trying to indicate the breadth of, of what they're trying to embrace in this idea and so here's um, here's the point of it. the only way i could do it is to read what they say otherwise somebody it's could say you're making good. it up you see it's very good that you did and let me give
2: people a clue as to how it's done even more so they have four words that they repeat Ad nauseum, mm. okay, and it's right in the first paragraph of the One Health thing in in the new version, Article eighteen. Um, the parties recognizing that the majority of emerging infectious diseases and pandemics are caused by zoonotic pathogens. Yep. Okay, yeah. no, they're not. Mm. No, they're not. And so then it says commit in the context of pandemic prevention, preparedness, response. And recovery of health systems okay so that is kind of like their mantra yeah everything's caused by animal diseases and we have to prevent prepare respond and recover our health systems they repeat it and they repeat it and they repeat it and they repeat it it soaks into their minds and they repeat it like an automaton because it's in their subconscious. Mm. They don't really think about what that means, and so they just keep repeating it. Well, And it, so yeah. you have to be aware that that's how they operate.
1: Yes, and it's quite cult-like in some ways. Oh, um, it's I mean, I, I noticed this with Ted Ross had this, this to do exactly with this, uh, there's this phrase, I don't know where I read it, but it's from him, where he says, we are one world, we have one health. We are one WHO. yes. And I thought that's like a mantra. We are one world. We have one health. We are one WHO, you know? And it's a, it's a mindless PR slogan, but uh, it's so quasi religious, you know, this like a one-ism sort of thing going on there. Um, quite disturbing. So it doesn't surprise me at all that the language in that text that I just read is functioning a little bit in the same way.
2: One of the things that technology can give you is you can take these documents and find a a website that will do a word search Mm. And there are websites out there that will tell you how many times a certain word or a certain phrase appears. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, these phrases are used hundreds of times in these documents, and they yeah. fail to define that. Well,
1: uh, they're, they're, they're sort of virtue signaling, aren't they, in some ways, a lot of these things. The word inclusive, you chuck it in there, it must be sure. nice. Sustainable development, you chuck that in, well, it must be good, you know. It's that sort of thing is going on a lot, isn't it?
2: The first half or so, maybe the first third of the quote unquote zero draft of the pandemic treaty document is all nice and flowery and wonderful Mm. and health and sovereignty and uh, equity and inclusiveness and all this sort of thing. Mm. And Mm. you read that and you realize that's the indoctrination program, right? Then you actually yeah. get yeah. into where they want to control your life. They added in the zero draft something called PABS. It's the Pathogen Access and Benefit System. It's in Article 10 now. The WHO Pathogen Access and Benefit Sharing System. Okay, They want all of the nations around the world to send all of their pathogens to their laboratory so that they have access, which really means control. And then right. we want to have, um, I'll, I'll read it verbatim, real-time access by the WHO to 20% of the production of safe, efficacious, and effective pandemic-related products, including diagnostics, vaccines, personal protective equipment, and therapeutics, to enable equitable distribution. Oh, yeah. This document would be legally binding upon any signatory. This is from a treaty, proposed treaty. They want access to 20% of the worldwide production of all of these benefits, okay? The benefits are, well, you give us your pathogens, we'll make you an injection, and we'll make money off of it and control who gets it. Mm. That's the system that they are documenting here and so when people see it they go they're out of their minds well if we're silent that silence is viewed as consent elsewhere they want to give money to creative research regarding you know making pathogens more pathogenic Hmm? which by any other you know word is gain of function we I think would say we should stop doing that. They want to fund it with billions of
1: dollars, yeah, because from their okay. apparent point of view, they think that's all part of uh helping the situation, preventing <laughs> pandemics. <laughs> Um, because of course these things arise in, in nature primarily. Whereas I'm thinking this seems to be putting reality on its head. I'm much more scared of the possibility of what you might call gain of function research. I know there's a a lot of debate as to what that means, but I think we know tinkering, virus tinkering (laughs) is the easiest way to call it. Um, if you're doing that and you're encouraging that, then well, that's pretty dangerous and worrying. I mean, I, I remember listening to a conversation between Dr. Merrill Nass and another doctor whose name I don't remember, but he made a very good point. And he said that, you know, there are these labs all around the place, and it just is the case that leaks do happen. It's a fact of life. And it's just the case that if you continue doing this, the probability will reach one some point or other. That you will have another pandemic with a serious pathogen. It's just, just going to happen. And I thought, you're right. You know, that this should stop. Um, but then if you stop doing this, then you are going to get rid of the engine that fuel the, the fuel, as it were, that allows this engine of control to work, you know, looking at it very cynically, I'm seeing the support for gain of function as being part of the package here.
2: Absolutely. And so to try to begin to wrap this all up so that people can get past their attempt to baffle everyone with just overwhelming detail, I'm trying to do what I can to take back some of the language that they've been stealing. Hmm. And so I created the peoplesamendments.com, the com, And part of it is just redefining the language to understand what they really mean by these words. Okay. Yeah. Um, the word safe does not have a legal definition. And quite frankly, it really can never have a definition because each person defines what is safe for them in a unique and individual way. You might feel safe, jumping out of an airplane with a parachute on. Someone else would never in a million years even think about doing that.
1: Yes, the term safe now is pretty much meaningless, considering we were lied to about that with respect to these injections. And we know we were lied to because we were told almost in the same breath that the long-term effects of these things were not known. Well, you can't say safe if you don't know what the future will be with respect to these very products. So that was a lie. It doesn't mean anything now.
2: But see, here's the thing. It never did safe is a personal feeling. Yeah. You either feel safe, you either think that something is safe, and, and someone... It's a personal judgment. Right. It's a
1: personal judgment, isn't it?
2: Someone can give you a probability, mm. okay? Yeah. It can say only one out of a million people who jump out of an airplane die on the way down. And you can make a judgment as to whether or not that one in a million is something that you're willing to risk. It's a risk assessment. Mm. Nobody has seen the risk assessment for Pfizer and Moderna's
1: product. All right. Um, can I just ask you to comment upon these things? And um, you can correct me if I've got them wrong.
2: I'd be more than happy to. Yeah. All
1: right. So this is in the international health regulation amendments uh, proposed. Um, we've talked about some of it, but we also have other things like they want to push on digital global health certificates. Surprise, surprise. So these statements appear. I won't read the statements in various of the articles, 18, 23, 24, 27, 28, 31. 30, they're all over the place. Uh, so they certainly intend to go in that direction. Or they do also talk about, yes, you'll still be able to show your physical papers, but they're obviously much keener on the digital side of things, uh, which we expect them to be. Um We also have a lot about the director general being given powers to act Unilaterally, it seems in many cases, um, I'll just put my glasses back on here. Um, so the director general apparently will be able to declare any event, a public health emergency of international concern, even if it's only some sort of potential risk, which I believe is a change. Uh, the director general may have powers that national governments should have these powers. Let's say they're ceded to the director general, such as to do with travel, uh, you know, international travel, world detention, travel restriction, vaccination requirements, medical examination requirements. Um, the Director General also can decide what constitutes disinformation or misinformation, require governments to do something about that. And this one really, well, they all bother me, but this one in particular bothers me, seems to be um, a beefing up of this surveillance system. So we have the acting upon this is director general acting upon the findings of a surveillance system set up in every country to identify new variants of viruses. Of Cause any of those could be deemed a potential risk rather than an actual risk could be damaging. Who knows? And then these surveillance bodies will exist. They'll be funded and exist in order to do that. They'll be looking for variants. <laughs> um the funding will effectively come from private and corporate interests that already support the who some of whom of course are going to stand to gain from vaccine-based solutions to the problems that these bodies identify so the whole thing seems to be a, a sort of a machine that's leveraging the whole situation to look for problems and find solutions when none of this need exist at all i find all that very disturbing um, have I got any of that wrong? Do you want to say anything about it, any of those points? The, the only thing wrong
2: is that it keeps going, and we don't have. That <laughs> right, and, right. Yeah. Let me try to put it into perspective. Because, as difficult as these documents are to parse through and to stop yourself from falling asleep while you're reading them, <laughs> yeah. there's actually a bigger issue. What is not being discussed. They are coming from the premise that the way to keep people healthy is to lock them down and keep them away from each other. There has been no discussion about why were there 16 times as many deaths in North and South America as in Africa, and it's almost Thirty times per capita in Europe. Why is it that the nations in Africa survived this past three years actually quite well? There's no discussion of, you know, what is it that they advised that the nations in Europe and North and South America did? Mm. That was horribly disastrous. Rather than actually have, you know, and I hate to use the word, but it's the right word rather than have a post mortem analysis or a mea culpa, what did we do wrong? How could we do better? They actually had a meeting Mm -hmm. on September 21st. It was called an informal focused consultation. And the WHO asked their experts. Well, you know, in order to require nations to be better prepared for the next problem, what metrics could we enforce? And the experts said, we have no idea. You would have thought back in 2020 that northern Italy and Spain and Portugal and Germany and the UK and the United States with all their money, all their technology, all their medical establishment – that they should have been quite well prepared. They had all the money in the world, okay? The United States can make all the money they want. It's not for lack of preparedness. It's for very wrong decisions, Hmm? very wrong treatment choices. And lockdowns didn't work. But wait a minute. um, Doctors like Dr. Shankar Chetty or Dr. Rapidi in South Africa treated tens of thousands of patients, they treated them oh. properly, oh, yeah. and none of them even went to the hospital. What's missing from all of these documents and, and, and these discussions is the simple fact that they did a horrible job over the last three years. They failed miserably, but somehow, because of their personality and, and their drive to control everything they think that they should be given more money and more control they failed and they want to be they want to be given more control and more power it's absurd
1: it is absurd it's very very disturbing uh, Ramesh thakur who was former un assistant secretary general describes it as a self-perpetuating biopharmaceutical complex
2: Well, I recognize that the WHO uses a phrase that is defined in the law when they declare that there's an emergency. Their phrase is that it's a public health emergency of international concern. Yeah, P-H-E-I-C or FAKE. (laughs) And so I'm co-opting their acronym because that FAKE wants to drive money into the other FAKE which is the Pharmaceutical Hospital Emergency Industrial Complex. Mm -hmm. Essentially, the delegates from many nations see this big pile of money that they hope will be available, and they want that investment or that equity Mm -hmm. to be invested in their countries. And so the Indonesian health minister, who is not a doctor, is a banker. He said at the G20 in November that Indonesia was very proud that they had um, submitted proposed amendments and that they wanted to push through this digital health certificate at the World Health Assembly this May. But then he went on to say that the World Bank had created with many nations and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the Wellcome Trust and the rockefeller organization
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. a
2: pandemic fund that's actually the name the world bank pandemic fund i did a whole article on it right with um um, money going into the toilet he said look that they have this 10 billion dollar fund it's underfunded they only got about one and a half billion but he 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 basically said Mm. there's this 10 billion dollar fund so go invest. This is a great business opportunity. Yeah. And that's what this is. This is not about health. No, nope. This is a business opportunity to funnel money into crony capitalist you know, organizations. Absolutely. Yep. They're not making people healthier. They're building surveillance systems. And they want to poison people with more pharmaceutical drugs and injections. Because quite frankly, in Africa very few you know relatively very few people died between 16 and 30
1: mm. times as many people died in america and europe right okay well okay but let's end if we can on a slightly hopeful note i hope so in what you answer in, in a minute oh, I am, um, so i'm sorry
2: very i'm very optimistic actually yeah? so go right ahead
1: okay so look, that's it so why are you optimistic now, what is it you say? Out with the who and in with the new or something? What, what's the new? What are you conceiving of here? And How would that even be possible?
2: Well, the simple fact is when anybody looks at this information, if you go to stopthewho.com and you see what they're trying to do, people have a guttural response, and it's essentially they're crazy. No way are we going to put them in control of our lives and around the world, I've been experiencing it. There's, you know, just for one example, there's a group in Australia that has made quite a storm. Mm. And you can go to Australia exits the WHO. Okay. Um, in the United States, you could go yeah. to dot Right. Working with people in Canada and UK to get things rolling in that regard. Mm. But the point is, it's so egregiously, obviously Wrong, Mm -hmm. what they're trying to do. Even their own International Health Regulations Review Committee published a 97 page document and it backs up all of the things that I've been saying for the last month and a half. This is insane.
1: Mm. It's absolutely okay, but that's only good if the findings of that committee are then taken on board by the WHA so they can actually change these documents so that they're not so egregious. But that's not going to happen, is it?
2: Well, it's it's really, quite frankly, an awareness that we are in an abusive relationship that has gone very, very sour. Okay. Mm. Any organization that would publish a proposal to cross out... Respect for Dignity, Human Rights, Fundamental Freedoms is an organization that has so seriously lost its way. I advocate Mm. exiting the WHO because you don't negotiate with terrorists. You don't negotiate with psychopaths. You don't negotiate with abusers. If this was a relationship with human beings and one party who was the abuser – was trying to get legal control of the other
1: person's life, you would advise that person to leave the relationship. That's true. But how do you actually make a difference? Because we've had two or three years of being aghast at what's going on. Yeah. And yet I find the media are still continuing to parrot things that I know are untrue. I find that the politicians are still doing their best to avoid talking about anything that might show they had ever been wrong about anything. Um Indeed, they seem incapable of answering questions that are brought up in Parliament. So, you know, it's all very well for regular people to read these documents and or listen to interviews about these documents or whatever and be appalled and say, this must never happen. This is dreadful. Uh-huh. In one sense... I'm going to exaggerate here. It doesn't matter how many people think that if those bureaucrats who are there making the decisions carry on as if there's no problem with what they're doing and everybody's sweetly agreeing with them. I will take
2: issue. I will take issue with that last thing. It absolutely does matter. Okay. Because in their world, silence is consent. And so over the past three years, um, People did what they have done, whatever it may be. Um, many people gave these officials the benefit of the doubt, and many people went along with what they were told. But a lot of people have awakened to various portions of the reality. And this one is so egregiously bad that I think it's actually unifying, mm. whether it's a Labour or Conservative Party or Republicans or Democrats, or whatever it might be, um, the United Kingdom did not submit any amendments to the WHO. You could look at this as the European Union trying to gain control along with many other nations, giving that power to the WHO. And unless people in Australia or Canada or the UK or wherever look at this and go what do these delegates think they're doing why in the world are all of these nations many of whom are supposedly why are they seeking to give power to the
1: who to control our nation okay okay so you're saying that if enough people become aware of this and talk about it and create a who are about it however they might do that You're saying that these delegates, these bureaucrats, they will take notice and they'll give up on this or they'll reword this or they'll actually be responsive to public opinion. Is that what you're saying?
2: They only can be responsive to people who speak what they want. Silence is always seen as consent. Okay. And so when we are silent, Mm. when we don't say no, It's a very simple thing with anybody. If what you feel is no, Hmm. if you don't say no, how in the world is the other person going to know what you feel?
1: Oh, true. That's not quite the same, though, is it? I agree. If you don't say, then somebody won't know. But it's not the same as saying, if you say no, they will therefore take notice of what you said. Those are actually two different things.
2: And, And what I'm advocating is not that people think that it's one person against, you know, the Mm. administration or one person against, you know, this global attempt. They are very, very few in number. Mm. Okay. And they have been seeking to do this in silence. They tried last year to keep it hidden. They published the document On April 12th, after it was submitted on January 18th, they kept it hidden for three months. This is now exposed. The genie is not going to go back into the bottle. They cannot hide this. Mm. And so each and every person, I encourage, get out your camera, get out your computer, take a video of yourself or an audio or written or however you care to speak your mind. Go to stop thewho.com get informed i do a daily zoom you can ask questions i'll try to answer everybody's questions what we mm-hmm. did back in september you can go to screw and you can <laughs> yeah. see what your fellow human beings around the world had mm. to say back in september um speak your mind say what you want to say mm. if you think these are all wonderful ideas well you know bless you um <laughs> say so if that's what yes. you believe but I think anybody who looks at this will start speaking very powerfully. Don't just say what you
1: don't want. Mm. Say what you do want. True. And is it also the case that the World Health Assembly, so that's the WHA, is now asked, or has been recently asking for public opinion, um, whereas they're trying to sort of keep quiet about it, but they've actually opened up a little. So you, you can actually state what you think to them or have been able to recently.
2: Well, um, back in April... And this was in regards to the treaty that did not even exist in April. Mm -hmm. They gave us six days' notice to give written public comment.
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: In six days, we got 33,884 people to comment.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. An article that I have documented it. We finally got a hold of all of the comments. And 99.9% of the comments were, what are you doing? We don't want any pandemic treatment.
1: Okay, right. So now that's interesting. So are you aware that that had any effect? What I mean is, not not. do you suspect it did? Do you have any evidence that that had any effect upon the WHA?
2: I, I, I suspect that it has had some effect. Hmm. But what we need are, you know, 33 million yes. people yes. to be streaming. Okay. Absolutely. And so you cannot count on the media, whether it's mainstream or alternative. Reach out to all of them. One of the articles that I have on my Substack literally is alternative media. And I encourage everyone to number one, share this recording with everybody. We are all the media but, now. Exactly. <laughs> I know it's trite, but it's true. It's very true. Share this recording with every media outlet that you can imagine. And ideally, you know, start with the alternative media because the mainstream will only manipulate this, okay? Mm -hmm. But if there are other media outlets that you listen or watch, read or whatever, ask them why they're not talking about this. Mm -hmm. Why aren't you covering this? Why aren't you interviewing people? Why aren't you reporting on this? They're trying to change international law, and you're talking about whatever other story they may be talking about. Now, there are many important stories in the world, oh, yeah. but this is
1: certainly one of them. <laughs> I think there are some less important stories that are causing more fuss than this one, actually. And maybe, maybe there's some planning to that. Who knows? Um, you have a, a statement here, which I think is rather good. I shall read it, um, along the lines of what you've, you've been saying here. But I think it's good for us to think along these lines, perhaps even share this particular statement. We, the people of the world, do not recognize the World Health Organization as being anything other than an, an advisory body with no power whatsoever to enforce the recommendations that they make in all matters we the people make up the whole of society and we are the masters of the whole of government. We claim our right to personal individual sovereignty in all matters and cede that authority only to God, our creator. We, the people of the world are responsible for our own health and we are not answerable to the WHO. So I like that. And, uh, yeah, I think if we could copy and paste that around the world billions of times, that would, uh, that would be great, but, uh, we shall see what happens.
2: Well, you know, um, In any flood, if you were to interview one of the raindrops that participated in that flood, Mm. you might find a raindrop that had an attitude of, oh, I'm just a raindrop. What does it matter? Mm. And I think the analogy explains itself. We're all in this together. Um, Just speak your truth in whatever way you can because silence is viewed as consent. Yes, important point. So don't be silent
1: yeah be sorry. well thanks very much james for coming on and talking about this uh, well, thank you yeah. really really sort of opaque subject um but I, I think you know we've got a flavor of it through having this um sort of unstructured conversation um went into areas um nooks and crannies of this that i didn't expect to do it's a good thing um so people will go i hope to your website so okay there's the long version which is the substack one but let's uh, just stick to the the other url i'll put both of course in the notes so stop yeah, the who notes. isn't it stop the who.com will take people to your Substack.
2: that's correct and everything i do is Mm. um freely given um nothing is behind a paywall so you can read it all and you know the goal from this conversation with you i think i've i've achieved um people just need to recognize there are two very separate things yeah i'm a bit more concerned about the proposed amendments to the international health regulations yeah but there's also the talk of what most people call the pandemic treaty and it's essentially they're attempting to change international law in two separate ways and they've been doing it so far really without the voice of the people so speak your mind learn what's there speak your mind about what you've learned and do not be silent because that would be seen as consent and we are the ones who have the authority over our lives They did a lousy job over these past three years. Hmm. I do not see any justification whatsoever to giving them more legally binding authority, power, control, or money. Hmm. They've messed it up really, really badly. And money should be going into investigations and prosecutions of the people who have lied. And until that happens, there's no reason whatsoever to give the people who contributed to this problem more power over us we yeah. need to take that power back
1: absolutely agree thank you james Roguski, for coming on to talk about thank this you. it's uh, been great to speak to you and uh, maybe one day we'll speak again uh, see how things are going i hope so thank you very much
2: i hope so it's been a pleasure thank you
1: show notes for this program can be found at the mind renewed at themindrenewed.com Podcast music by the brilliant Anthony Rajakov Attribution non Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International. You have been listening to me, Julian Charles, and my guest, James Roguski. And I very much look forward to speaking to you again in the near future.
0: 18 plus.